Thank you for joining us. Our goal at Church of the Rock is to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To learn more about us, please check out our website at churchoftherock.ca or stay connected with our free app available for Apple and Android devices. Do you have uh, one of these with you right now? Okay, pull it out, hold it up. Don't be ashamed. Don't be embarrassed. Okay, good. Look, that one's got a camera on. No, that's good. Now, at the end of the service, I'm going to ask you to do something really important with this. But between now and then, the trick is don't get distracted. Don't get distracted by your phone. Have, have you ever um, texted while driving? No. Nobody's done that. Nobody I know. Certainly not me. Well, maybe you've uh, plugged in your navigation. You're on a trip to somewhere you've never been before, and you want to know what the most efficient way to get there is. While you're driving, you tap that into your navigation system. Who's done that? Okay, don't put your hands up. Maybe you're on a long road trip across the country and you just need to find that perfect playlist for the sunrise or sunrise you're driving into. East is that way, I think. And you do that when you're driving. Not recommended, but there has been people that have done that before. I've driven distracted before. Not proud of it, but I want to tell you this story of when I was uh, in grade 12. And I was at my friend's house out in the country uh, between here and Oak Bank, and he lived on a gravel road. It was the middle of winter. All the roads were a sheet of ice, and I had just been at his place for an overnight, and we had our fun, but it was time to go home. And uh, the vehicle I had, just to put this picture in your head, was a super powerful, awesome 97 Dodge Neon, like this one on the screen. (laughs) Who remembers those things? And uh, yes, mine had a red door uh, from a previous incident, but we won't get into that. Uh, So I was at my friend's house, decided it was time to head home, and like any uh, 18-year-old would, had the most amazing idea to just hop in your car and drive away without letting it warm up, without letting it defrost the windows, all that stuff, right? So it's a plan. I didn't say it's a good plan. But I get into the vehicle and start driving away. Immediately, what happens is the windshield begins to ice up. And, of course, the side windows as well. And again, using my uh, young wisdom at the time, I decided that I would just keep driving a little bit slower to stay safe, you know, right? You got to stay safe. Drive a little bit slower, keep one hand on the wheel, grab my, uh, my ice scraper and begin to scrape a little hole so I can at least see where I'm headed, right? Sounds reasonable if you're maybe 18 and immature. Well, I got that little hole scraped out on the windshield, so that's looking good. But I look to my left to see my uh, side view mirror, and I can't see a thing. So I decide the best next step is to scrape a little hole so I can see through that mirror, right? Who's following with me? This is... So I got one hand on the wheel, and I start scraping that side window. And before you know it, I was in the ditch. Didn't even know it was coming. That ditch just came up out of nowhere. (laughs) 
And there I was, stuck in the ditch. Now, thankfully, I was not very far from my friend's place, only about a quarter of a mile, so I could walk back in all humiliation and ask to get pulled out of the ditch and on my way. And they were happy enough to do that. And I didn't have any injuries. My vehicle drove pretty much normal after that. But usually, distracted driving can have far more dire consequences. And we know that from statistics from MPI, from our public insurer here, uh, that um, one-third of traffic deaths are actually attributed to distracted driving. And in 2021, there were 41 people that lost their lives because people were behind the wheel giving themselves to distraction. An incredible stat that can definitely be worked at to change. But as Christ followers, we need to recognize as well that when we live a distracted life, we get off track. We do not end up finding our meaning. We don't find God's purpose for our lives. And we are totally missing the point if we allow ourselves to get distracted. When you live a distracted life, you will not find God's meaning for your life. You won't fulfill the purpose that he has given for you. On the other hand, a positive spin to that is when we cast aside distractions, when we live with focus, it's going to be almost difficult to miss his purpose. When we focus on the right things at the right time in the right way. Apostle Paul talked about this 2,000 years ago. When he wrote 1 Corinthians, he was talking to a church in the city of Corinth. And it was actually, what he wrote was in response to a letter that they sent him. And they had given him some news about happenings in the church. They had given him some questions about how to live a godly life, how to honor Christ with everything that they are. Good questions to have. And so Paul is working at answering some of these questions and responding to the happenings of the church. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 1, we read that he is writing specifically to some specific questions. He, he says, and now in response to what you have written. So he's getting ready to make some specific uh, declarations about what they have written to him. And so he talks about a whole slew of different things, uh, um, sort of the debate between uh, marriage versus singleness. He talks about uh, taking care of widows versus living for yourself and keeping that, uh, those resources for yourself. He talks about whether it's more honorable to be a slave as a Christian or to fight for your freedom as a Christian. He talks about um, celibacy and unbridled passions. And clearly, if those are your two options, uh, celibacy is the way to go. There's also uh, talk about circumcision versus uncircumcision. Basically, a lot of things where once you become a Christian, it's not make or break. Some of those things are, but some things are not. In verse 35, we catch the foundational motive that he has for responding this way. And we can read it here. What he wrote is, This I say for your own profit, not that I may put a leash on you, but for what is proper, and that you may serve the Lord without distraction. 
He's saying, listen, all these things that I've said, I don't want to corral you. I don't want to ensnare you with following the letter of the law. A lot of these things are good, uh, and they're not necessarily wrong or evil, some of the other things. But the number one thing you need to know is that whatever you do, whether you are married or unmarried, whether you are slave or free, or maybe for our context, whether you are a bottom-rung employee or a CEO, whatever you find yourselves, live a life serving the Lord with as few distractions as possible. We live in a world with a crazy amount of distractions, don't we? Everywhere you look, there's something that's trying to grab your attention, something that wants you to put your money in, put your time into, put your mind into. But I want to highlight really just two categories of distractions today. And like we know, sometimes we're distracted by devices like phones or TVs, but that's not really what I'm talking about today. The categories that I'm talking about are the past and the future. We are distracted by these things. And what I mean more specifically, from, we're distracted from the past or by the past with things of shame, feelings of guilt. Maybe it's something that has happened to you in the past or something that you've done to someone else. Unforgiveness. Often we are distracted by the unwillingness to forgive someone for the harm they've caused to ourselves or someone dear to us. Maybe we're just embarrassed of something we did in the past. Or another way we're distracted by the past is putting blame on someone else when actually we could have done something different ourselves. The past can distract us. But also the future can distract us as well. One of the primary things that distract us from the future is worry. Worry. What, what's happening tomorrow? What's happening next week? What's happening next year? We get worried about what is to come or what isn't coming. And once we buy into worry, that grows and grows even into fear. And sometimes we are fearful about what is to come in the future. Some distractions come from the future. We also have hopelessness that nothing good is going to come. Or we have false hopes that something amazing is going to come. It's like the lotteries are completely centered around everybody's collective false hopes. Unrealistic dreams for the future. We get distracted by the past and we get distracted by the future. There's this incredible story in the Old Testament in the book of Jonah. And it's the story of Jonah, surprisingly. And we see that he gets distracted by the past and by the future. And it takes him totally off track. But we need to really understand the historical context in order to see this. So we're going to dig a little bit deeper into this than normal. You see, the, the generation before Jonah there was a king who gave up like half of the territories to an enemy king. The enemy king came and put his armies on the border and said, hey, um, Israelites, uh, you're my subjects now, or we'll come in and just slaughter you all. And so the Israelite king 
trying to save some face, said, okay, okay, don't fight. Let's not fight, but I'll give you 50% of the land and 90% of the taxes. It's like imagine today if all of a sudden the U.S. Army was lining up against our southern border and they were threatening to enter our country. And then our prime minister is like, oh, no, we don't want to fight. It probably looks like you're going to win anyways, so let's just save all the bloodshed. You can take half of our land and we'll give you 90% of our taxes. We would be absolutely humiliated by that, wouldn't we? We would feel so, uh, so disgusted by our leadership. And who would we be as Canadians? This is the sense that Jonah has grown up with. He's lived in this environment of submission to the Assyrian Empire. And the first time we hear of Jonah is actually in 2 Kings verse 14. And it's amazing. It's like God has spoken the most amazing thing to the people of Israel. In one word, it's payback. It's payback. The Assyrian Empire, they're getting a little weaker, and so it's time to go and take back your lands. It's a little bit more uh, complicated than that, but basically, God gives Jonah a message to the king. Go and take back what your predecessor lost. And guess what? He's successful. The king at the time is Jeroboam II. And if we see this map uh, on the screen, on the left, you'll see that Israel, the orange in the middle is very small. That's when Jonah was growing up, the sense of submission. And then when he prophesied that God would be with them to take back all these lands they lost, it grew into the picture on the right. They took back, in fact, the scripture says that they took back all the lands so that the kingdom was as large as when King David and King Solomon ruled. So they're basically back at the height of their glory as a nation. Amazing stuff. Payback has happened. Kind of. Kind of. So we find ourselves in that point. But in the book of Jonah, God gives the prophet Jonah a different message. But is he willing to hear it? Well, the message that God gives Jonah is one of repentance, one of mercy for the people of Nineveh. Now, the people of Nineveh, is um, the city of Nineveh, is the capital of the Syrian empire. And so when Jonah is sent to Nineveh, keep that in mind that this is the center of the Assyrian Empire, the center of all the oppression that the Israelites have felt for the last generation and a half is centered on this one city. And so Jonah receives this word from God, go to Nineveh, tell them to repent. If they do, I will have mercy on them. If they don't, complete, utter destruction. And if you've read the story, you know what Jonah did. He took off in the complete opposite direction. He was supposed to go east, and he ran west. And God got him back on track with a storm, with a big stinky fish. But here's what I want you to know, that Jonah was distracted with the past and the future. That's what got him off track. You see, he had unforgiveness in his heart maybe even for specific people that were part of the Assyrian Empire. He had anger. He, had, he harbored hatred in the pit of his heart. And he clearly had 
uh, some distractions about the future, hopes of cruelty against the Assyrians, and even dreams of their complete and utter destruction, cataclysmic even in nature. And so when he heard that God was contemplating their destruction, he ran the other way. And here's why. Because he knew who God was. In Jonah chapter 4, verses 1 through 3, we read this. This change of plans, well, this is the part where Nineveh repents and God shows mercy. So this change of plans upset Jonah, and he became very angry. So he complained to the Lord about it. Didn't I say before I left home that you would do this, Lord? That's why I ran away to Tarshish. I knew that you are a merciful and compassionate God, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. You are eager to turn back from destroying people. That's the problem in Jonah's mind. Just kill me now, Lord. I'd rather be dead than alive if what I predicted will not happen. He's distracted by things of the past and distracted by the things of the future that he wants, that that he sees as being right. But he also knows that his God is a God of mercy. And when he says that he's going to have mercy, he's willing to fall through on that. And so he went the other way. But we ourselves, we need to live an undistracted life. We need to put away those distractions of the past, put away the distractions of the future. And what we're left with is focusing on the here and now with an eye to eternity. So the first thing that we need to keep in mind is that we need to forsake the fake. We need to forsake the fake. Engage with real life in meaningful ways. It's like we're trading the distractions of the past and the future to focus on the here and now, the today, this moment right now. 2 Timothy uh, 2 verse 4 says, No one serving as a soldier gets entangled in civilian affairs, but rather tries to please his commanding officer. Your commanding officer is Jesus Christ, and your mission is expanding his kingdom in this world. But when we get distracted, we get off track, we get a disillusion, we get um, just, we're, we're nowhere near where we need to be pursuing the kingdom of God and bringing his place here on earth. It's like um, this Pink Floyd quote. Anyone listen to Pink Floyd still? I know some of you guys. The quote was, or is, Uh, Did you exchange a walk-on part for a war in a lead role in a cage? Did you exchange that walk-on part in this war, the war of bringing Christ's kingdom into this world for a lead role in a cage, distracted? You're You're the lead role in your own distractions. But I think the most incredible part of this mission that God has given us is not that we're required to go overseas or required to learn a new language to minister to someone else. If that's what you're called to, that's good and that's right. But for the majority of us, the amazing thing about our mission is that it's about the everyday life, your everyday life. Who are you today? Tomorrow. Literally tomorrow. Who will you be tomorrow? Maybe you are a mom. 
Moms are amazing. We all have one. Some of you are moms. Your everyday life is caught up with children and with um, maybe that part-time job, maybe uh, some of the stuff in the home that your husband can't bother to touch. But you can definitely be able to bring meaning into that place, meaning for your kids, meaning for your spouse, meaning for the people around you. Anybody here have a neighbor? I want to see your hands. Come on. Everybody's got a neighbor. How about who's here has got a job? Maybe a few less hands. Who here has a friend? Okay, what I'm trying to communicate is that these are parts of everyday life. You are in that place with your neighbor, with your friend, with your coworkers, and you have the opportunity to bring something valuable into the lives of the people around you and valuable even into your own life by how you live in those moments, day to day, making the choices to bring Christ's kingdom into this world. I know that many of us as men, especially younger men, struggle to know what is the meaning of our lives here in this world. And it's truly to be able to bring this meaning into our own lives by bringing this meaning into other people's lives. Bring value, encourage people, protect the vulnerable. That's one of the primary things that we are called to as men. And I think that one of the reasons that drunkenness is outlawed is because it distracts us from doing the things that we are called to do. Not just men, but all of us. It distracts us. It gets us off track. I throw recreational marijuana in there as well because it takes us off track, distracts us from what God is doing, where he's leading, and where he's pointing us to, not necessarily in the future, but here in this moment right now. If you're serious about following Jesus Christ, then you've got to stay away from drunkenness and marijuana. Here's a quote from Brant Hansen's book, The Men We Need. It says, The reason we feel meaningless is because we do meaningless things. Take a moment to let that sink in. If you're struggling with thoughts of meaninglessness in this world, maybe it's because you've given yourself to these distractions. You've given yourself to meaningless things. But then the question becomes, okay, what, is, what are some of the meaningful things that you can actually start doing? We'll face that question a little bit later. So we need to forsake the fake, and we need to embrace the meaning for this moment right now. The second point is to keep the end goal in focus. Keep the end goal in focus. 2 Timothy 2 verse 5 says, Similarly, Anyone who competes as an athlete does not receive the victor's crown except by competing according to the rules. Many of you may know that right now in our city, there's the World Police and Fire Games happening. And there's about 8,000 or more people from around the world that have come to our city to compete as athletes in all sorts of incredible sports. Some that are difficult, some that are challenging. Well, I'm sure they all are, Um, like cornhole. Have you ever played cornhole? 
It looks like this. At least this is the picture I see in my mind. Granny and grandson tossing beanbags in the backyard. But did you know that there's this culture of competitive cornhole? And you too can play. Or at least you can watch it at the World Police and Fire Games. Now these athletes, of course there's hundreds of other sports and games going on as well, not just cornhole. But these athletes, they train day in and day out. They're tossing those beanbags day in, day out, trying to perfect their game. And why do they do it? It's probably a fairly simple answer. It's for a medal, one just like this. Preferably the one in the middle, that bright shiny one. And um, if not that one, probably the one on the right. Silver, second place, okay, not bad, or bronze. If you go home without a medal, at least you tried. But here's the thing. What is our end goal as believers? What are we focusing on that we can work towards? Well, we're given the answer in Acts 24, verses 15 through 16. This is Paul writing again. And he's talking to a group of people that he needs to defend his faith to. And so he says this. I have hope in God that there will be a resurrection of the dead, both of the just and the unjust. This being so, I myself always strive to have a conscience without offense toward God and towards men. He's saying the thing that we point ourselves to, the things that we are working towards, is that one day we will be resurrected. And it matters if we are righteous or unrighteous. It matters what we do in this world that has ramifications for our eternity. Yeah, salvation through Christ alone, but there are ramifications to how we live our life, whether we like it or not. And so Paul is saying he's committed to live righteously. He's committed striving to live in a way that he can have a good conscience, not just before men, but before God. That is our end goal, that when we get before Christ, that we can have a good conscience and know that we have put our effort into what he's asked us to do. I love it because every moment there's an opportunity for you to do exactly that. Every minute, every moment is an opportunity for you to do something that sets you on the track towards this victory C.S. Lewis put it this way in his book, The Screwtape Letters. He said, The present is the point at which time touches eternity. This moment right now, the present, is where time and eternity interconnect. If you want to have an eternal impact, do something now. Plan something for now and do that. So we forsake the fake, and then we keep eternity in focus. That's our end goal. The third point is that we remain faithful through the doldrums. It's kind of an awkward word to say, and usually we mean it as like an emotional-type word. Doldrums is like sad, unmotivated, ho-hum, maybe, um, yeah, that kind of thing. And, And it's like nothing is happening in our lives. We're in the doldrums. 
The technical understanding of the doldrums is actually an ocean navigation term, and there is a patch of air around the circumference of the earth where there's next to no wind. And uh, it's right around the equator, five degrees north, five degrees south, and in this area, there's almost no wind. And back in the day when they had sailing ships going across the ocean, they would have, um, you know, going from England to Australia would take somewhere around an average of 75 days, sometimes 65, sometimes 85. But if there is a ship that got stuck in the doldrums, it could have incredible uh, effect on the crew, on the cargo, on the passengers. There's stories of people getting stuck in this patch of calm air, not just for five days, not 10, but even 40 days. That's almost 50% longer than you would have planned to be on that ship. And there's nothing going on. No wind in the sails. I know for many of us, there are seasons of our lives where if we feel like there's actually no wind in our sails. And even spiritually, there's no spirit in our sails. And I want to make sure you know that there is a season for that, but it doesn't stay that way. I want to put a different picture into your mind. Not the doldrums, but let's look at this picture of dirt. Now, what do you see here? You're welcome to shout it out. Dirt. Dirt? You sure that's all you see? Dirt. Maybe there's some stones. Stones. Well, you're all right, if that's what you said. Because that's all you can see. It looks like there's nothing happening at all. But I happen to know the secret. Under the surface, there's a seed that is germinating. And when a seed germinates, it takes usually about 10 days or so before something pokes up above the dirt. It takes 60 days before you can start reaping the harvest, if you've got like a vegetable garden or something like that often. If you're planting a tree, it can take years before you reap the harvest. If you're feeling like you're in a season where there's no spiritual wind in your life, remember that God is still at work, but it is under the surface. He's still working. The challenge for us is in that season, we still have to be focused on where he's calling us, still focused on on playing a meaningful role in his kingdom on this world. When we simply just distract ourselves and let things go on as they are, we are robbing ourselves of the ability to see God's little movements under the surface. We have to stay focused, keep living day to day to bring meaning into our our lives and the lives of people around us. Stay focused on the end goal of eternity, even when it feels like we're a little bit stuck Sometimes God does his best work in us when it feels like nothing is happening. Because, like 2 Timothy 2 verse 6 says, the hardworking farmer must be first to partake of the crops. If you keep going with the regular everyday stuff about watering and weeding your garden, you keep focused on the eternal perspective, you keep doing meaningful things, then one day there will be a harvest for you in your life. 
a spiritual harvest, fruit in your soul, and celebration in heaven. So to recap these three points, we forsake the fake and live our lives in meaningful ways. We keep the end goal of eternity in focus, and we remain faithful, even when it looks to our perspective like there's nothing really happening around us. So you still have those phones out, still have them available. You didn't get too distracted. Because what I want you to do is there's going to be a question coming up on the screen. And I want you to take a picture of this screen. Sometimes it works great. Sometimes, depending on our devices, it doesn't work awesome. So maybe just type yourself a text message. I'll let you do that here. Not on the roads. So here's the question. What commitment are you making today to bring eternal meaning to your life and the lives of others? What commitment are you making today to bring eternal meaning to your own life and the lives of others? Now the challenge is to get as specific as possible when you answer this. You could say, "Uh, I just want to do something more at church. But get more specific. I'm going to go to celebrate recovery on Monday nights because that's a place I know that they help me to focus on the end goal of eternity. They will help me to, to continue living a meaningful life. Celebrate recovery. Monday's at 7 p.m. right here in this building. Maybe it's, you know, I really want to dig into the understanding of what it means to be a godly man. Maybe it means you're going to send me an email, andrew at churchoftherock.ca and get connected to do a study through the book by Brent Hansen, The Men We Need, coming this fall. Maybe it means that you're going to connect with your neighbors on a new level, even though in the past they've been a bit of a jerk, to say the least. But uh, get specific about it. I'm going to invite Art over for a barbecue on Thursday. Take this question with you into the week even into your life ahead and live in a way that brings meaning to your life and the lives of people around you. Let's stand this morning. The journey to find meaning in our lives actually begins with the understanding and the acknowledgement that Jesus Christ is the Lord of our lives. And that means that we make a commitment to live according to his way and his plan. And that journey begins with acknowledging we are sinners, but he's our savior. So I want to ask everyone to close your eyes and bow your heads right now. Because maybe some of you here have never made a declaration to God that you acknowledge you have done wrong things. But you also acknowledge that Jesus Christ is the only way to deal with those sins. You see, he died on the cross for you. The Bible says that God loves you so much that he sent Jesus to die on the cross, a perfect man, to take on your sin so that he could give you his perfection, so that he could take away your sin and give you righteousness. The Bible also says 
that we have to believe in our hearts and confess with our mouths that Jesus Christ is Lord. And that's the first step to living a life with Christ. If you hear someone has never made that declaration, I want to give you that opportunity right now. Everyone's eyes are closed and heads are bowed, so just raise your hand right now. If you want to declare Jesus as the Lord of your life, the Savior of your soul, and find forgiveness for your sins. Thank you. You can put your hands down now. We're all going to say this prayer together, everyone in this room, because for those of us that are a little further along the journey, it's good to be reminded. So repeat after me. Lord Jesus, I confess that I'm a sinner. I have been distracted. But today that changes because I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. I acknowledge Jesus died on the cross for my sins. He rose from the grave to bring life. And I accept the Holy Spirit to help me day by day. Today I am a new creation. I am not the same as when I walked in. Because I am a Christian. In the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. Let's celebrate what God's doing. Thanks for joining us. We want to help you know God, live free, and find purpose. To find resources to grow in your relationship with Christ, go to churchoftherock.ca slash next. You can also join us at one of our campuses, including our interactive online campus at churchoftherock.live. For locations, service times, or to support the ministry of Church of the Rock, please go to churchoftherock.ca or download the Church of the Rock app.